Uh, I'm really, really grateful to be back with you guys live. I feel like I'm always saying that, which probably means I spend too much time away from you. Um, but uh, I really am glad to be uh, here in person, not on video. Thank you for, uh, for just being gracious to me as I, as I was uh, serving life. And then last week as uh, I was at a conference, so just thank you for being gracious. Um, and uh, just one, one other note, um, I'm also super encouraged. Pastor Ray and I are super encouraged by all the different fellowship um, and hangout opportunities that you guys are uh, putting together on your own. Uh, we are so grateful for that. We're thankful for your initiative uh, in doing that and just loving being together. We really love that. That's something that we were hoping uh, would be evident in our fellowship group, and we're glad that, uh, that you guys are, are doing that. So uh, uh, if uh, you're still trying to get plugged in, we, we do ask that you uh, avail yourself of those opportunities. Well, um, yeah, it, it's uh, really good to uh, sing together and um, to, to sing those truths, and um, hopefully you'll kind of see, hopefully what we sang uh, earlier this evening will kind of prepare you for what we're going to be going through this evening. We're concluding our, um, our little mini-series our, uh, mini on purity within our dating series today, and we're going to do so by looking at the topic of uh, practically pursuing purity. Practically pursuing purity. Now, over the last few weeks, we've studied the importance of purity in general, We've also looked at the importance of guarding our hearts and um, how to better do that. We've also uh, looked at the hope that those who have sinned sexually have in the gospel. Uh, this evening, we're going to try and tie everything back together and come up with some practical steps for us to pursue purity, uh, not just for life right now, but for the rest of our lives. As we make it our aim, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to God in all of our lives. So to prepare our minds for our study through God's word this evening, uh, please turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We'll uh, just begin reflecting on verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11 through 14, the apostle Paul writes this, do this. Knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy." But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for your word and for how the salvation that we have through Christ is indeed very powerful. Uh, it's so powerful that it can take those of us who are broken sinners and make us whole. And so, Father, we pray that as we think about more practical ways that we can grow in holiness, that we can grow in purity, that you would uh, teach us, Lord, and, and help us to uh, strive to become more and more like Christ through the strength that you give. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, when it comes to purity, it is likely that many of you have learned about the importance of purity uh, early on in your Christian life, the teaching about purity has been pretty standard over the years, uh, mostly because the teaching from God's word does not change, and it has not changed on this subject. However, what has changed over the years is how we pursue purity, right? How we pursue purity. For some of us growing up, um, purity was reduced down to very simplistic solutions. Right? Don't talk to members of the opposite sex. Have an accountability partner. Memorize verses. Sign up for accountability software, and so on and so forth. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these strategies actually can be pretty helpful. 
Right? It's not like they're all bad. Uh, they are pretty helpful, but some of them can be less than helpful. And for example, something that is not as helpful for some, um, and you know, in reality, it really actually does more harm than good, is, um, is not talking to members of the opposite sex. And right? I've mentioned this before. Um, and, and the reason why it's not good for us to avoid the other gender I'm going to use those interchangeably because that's what the Bible does. Right? But the, the reason why it's not good for us to avoid the other gender is because we don't learn how to healthily interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or we are a family. Right? And so if we think that avoiding the other gender is purity, it's not purity. We're actually cutting off part of our family. Right? And so that's not exactly as helpful. And remember this little tidbit, uh, avoidance does not equal purity, right? Avoidance does not equal purity. I learned that this week, uh, that phrase, not the concept. Now, when it comes to some of the more helpful things, right, accountability partners or accountability groups or maybe even accountability software, those things can be uh, incredibly helpful. And it's helped a lot of Christians uh, cut off the influence of pornography and other pornographic materials. Um, and, uh, you know, memorizing verses, that's been helpful for people too as, they, uh, you know, as they're wrestling with impure thoughts, with lustful thoughts. They recite scripture and it helps them refocus their minds on God rather than just thinking about lust. And those are really helpful tools, right? They're really good tools, um, but they can have their weaknesses as well. Right? They can have their weaknesses as well. For instance, right, if you think about accountability software, accountability software is good, right? But I know some of you know that you can get around accountability software. Right? Why? Right? Why is it that you can get around accountability software? It's because accountability software does not deal with what's in here. It doesn't deal with what's in your heart. Right? Accountability software is only helpful in managing behavior. It's not helpful in dealing with the sin that is within your own hearts. Right? The sins that are deeply rooted in our hearts. Now, our goal tonight is to explore some practical ways that we, that, uh, that we can explore purity uh, through. And that deals both with sinful behaviors and the remaining sin that lurks deep within our hearts. And since we are talking about the practical application of purity, we're going to find ourselves a little uh, all, all over Scripture tonight. We're not going to be just in one text. We're going to bounce around a little bit. But even as we do so, I want you all to rejoice with me as we see how God has not left us alone to try and figure out how to do these things all by ourselves. He's given us very helpful principles throughout the Scriptures that can help us practically pursue Him. Now, I'm going to do my best to uh, be as practical as possible for a larger audience. Um, but if you feel like you yourself need extra help, right, and that what, was, that what we go through uh, tonight is not as particularly helpful for you on an individual level, that's where I would like to encourage you to feel free to reach out to me or any of the other pastors, or um, if you're a lady and you don't feel comfortable talking to the pastors, uh, an older sister in the Lord, um, so that we can help work with you to further learn how to apply God's methods to deal with your specific sins, right? And the way that it manifests itself, right? um, the way that uh, it has entangled you. Right, so this is broad because we have a broad audience. If you do need that extra help, though, we are available to help minister the Word of God to you. But for our message tonight, for our broader audience, we're going to look at four practical ways believers can uh, pursue purity in their lives. So, uh, <laughs> or I guess as uh, the proposition on the screen says, four practical ways believers can practically pursue purity in their lives. So we're going real practical tonight. Okay, and the, the four practical ways are know your heart, gear up for battle, get help, and help others, and love the Lord. Okay, first one is know your heart. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 15, 18 to 19. Matthew 15, 18 to 19. 
Jesus says this, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, that's just a fancy word for premarital sex, uh, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Oh, sorry, I gave you an extra verse. Bonus. Anyways, I imagine that with this first verse, some of you are probably tempted to tune out because we've already had a message on guarding our hearts. Now, that is true, but our focus in that particular message was to understand why we first talk about our hearts when we talk about purity, and second, to, uh, to, to think about an honest evaluation of our relationship with God and why we're attracted to other people. What we're trying to figure out is, why is it that people can, if they don't guard their hearts, become obsessed with the person that they're dating, the person that they have a crush on, so on and so forth. Right? That's what we were trying to figure out. So um, that sermon was more applicable for you um, if you were in, in, those, in, in that situation. Now, please, please hear me out on this. If you are in a dating relationship, it actually is okay for you to spend more time with the other person as you're trying to get to know them better. And, and you're trying to see whether or not this person might be the person that you marry. Right? That's okay. Right? That's normal. That's natural. It's not necessarily wrong for you to begin to hang out with your friends just a little less. And that's all right. Because what you're trying to do as you're exploring whether this relationship is leading towards marriage is you're trying to understand this other person and see, can I actually run with this person uh, in the faith? Can I minister to other people with this person? Are we, uh, are we in a place where uh, we can push each other to love God better together. Right? That's what you're trying to explore. So if you're barely interacting with one another right, and you're not able to get to know that side of the person and all you know that that person is is nice and pretty or if it's a guy, handsome, that's not really helpful. It's not going to set you up for success when it comes to building a good relationship with that other person. You know, sometimes you hear married people say that their spouse is their best friend. And why is that? It's because they've spent time getting to know each other. Or they've spent time trying to understand what that person um, is like in the heart. That they've, we've spent time examining each other's character. And we realize this is someone who can help me become more godly, and I can help them become more godly. Right? So it's okay for you to spend a little bit more time with the person that you're dating. However, okay, however, when it becomes idolatrous is, or, or where it becomes idolatrous is when your life revolves around that particular person. And you begin to cut others out of your life. That is idolatry. When, it's the, when, when people couple off and then they just disappear from the life of the church. And when they disappear from all of their friends and it's just them. And that's when it becomes a little more idolatrous. Or you begin to isolate yourself and the person you're dating from everyone. And Proverbs 18.1 says this, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. You see, when we separate ourselves from friends, from family, from ministry, and most importantly, a close walk with the Lord, we're not seeking after what God has for us. We're seeking after what we want for us. And that's why I'm, I was saying, you know, I was trying to be really careful in saying, it's okay for you to spend less time with your family, friends, uh, and, and, um, and, well, yeah, basically your family and friends. Right? But if you basically cut them out completely, how are they supposed to, and I'm giving away my message next week, how are they supposed to give you any insight 
into whether this person is actually going to help you and run with you as you pursue Christ. How will they know that? They won't because they don't know either of you anymore. So we don't want to put ourselves in a place where nobody can have any input into our lives. And that can happen, especially when we're really tempted to compromise in dating, pursuing what we want, when we want it, rather than trusting in God, rather than trusting that he will provide what is best. You see, when people are tempted to compromise in dating, when they're tempted to perhaps date an unbeliever because nobody else at church is considering them. What is the biggest desire? What is the greatest desire? The greatest desire is I must, I need to be in a relationship in order to be loved. And we justify it sometimes by saying, Man, if people only knew how much love I have to give. Now, you've heard that before, right? Probably from your, some of your friends. Right? Definitely not yourself, but from your friends, right? Or, or maybe from people on TV. Right? I've got so much love to give. It's so unfair. Why doesn't anybody love me? Why doesn't anyone pick me? Now, I'm not making fun of you if that's what you've said. But what I'm trying to get you to think about, though, is this. What are you actually trying to accomplish when you say, I have so much love to give? You are trying to establish the fact that you are worthy of someone's affection and in order for you to feel better about yourself, you must have that relationship so that you can have someone love you back. Is that not self-worship? That's self-worship. That's not trusting in God. That's not trusting that he will give you what's best. Or that, or that maybe what's best for you is that you don't get in a relationship. Would you be okay? And, you, and we, have, we, we, we have to think about this. All right, would you be okay? Would you be satisfied if God said to you, Actually, well, okay, take it back to charismatic stuff. If, would you be okay if God would not, does not allow for you to get married? Would you be okay with that? Would you still see him as good? Would you still see him as worthy of all worship? Would your heart still long after him because you love him? Or would you instead grow bitter? disgusted with the people around you, disgusted with your situation, disgusted with the fact that you don't get what you want when you want it. When we're not guarding our hearts. We open ourselves up for wholesale idolatry. Idolatry of relationships. Idolatry of comfort. Idolatry of Just love of self, really. Not being lonely anymore. And that's what the, I mean, the beauty of, of the, the family of God is that you're not lonely. You might feel lonely, but you're not. And you have to work hard at bringing the truth back to your mind to, to remind you of the family that we have, the unity that we have, the fact that you're not alone. All that being said, right, this, this was all re- recap of guarding your heart. Right? We were trying to make sure that we are aware uh, of the false worship that can arise when we get too consumed with dating. Now, the practical point of knowing your heart today, it goes even deeper as we think about pursuing purity. 
Now, as Jesus points out, any failure on our part to honor God in our lives can be traced back to the evil desires in our hearts. Any failure on our part to honor God in our lives can be traced back to evil desire in our hearts. In our lives, we have two choices. We have two choices in our lives. We either are God-centered or we are self-centered. There is no other choice. You're either seeking with all that you are, all that you have to glorify God, or you're seeking with all that you are, all that you have to glorify yourself, to get what you want, to pursue, what, uh, to pursue after um, your ambitions. And Paul, he confirms that for us in Romans 8.5. He says this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Do you catch that? Those people who are self-centered are those who, uh, who, whose minds are of the flesh. And they pursue the things of the flesh. Right? That's all they're thinking about. That's all they're aiming to do. That's all they're setting up their lives to pursue. But on the other hand, if you truly have been saved, if you've been given the Holy Spirit, then your mind will be on the things of the Spirit. Your mind will be on the things of God, and that will therefore give you a godly perspective so that you can say, whether or not I get married, I can still glorify God. Whether or not I get what I want in life, I can still glorify God. You see, if we're people driven by our fleshly desires, driven by the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5, Rather than the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, we will naturally pursue all of the things that our hearts desire. So, if we want to do well in pleasing God in this life, by being holy and not pursuing after our lusts, we need to know what our lusts are. And we need to know what our lusts are. Now, that word lust uh, is typically used in our circles to talk about sexual lust, but... The actual word itself is a pretty neutral term. It's basically the word for desire. It's kind of neutral. It could be bad, but it could be good, too. And um, when, when we're talking about knowing what our lusts are, what we're trying to do is I properly identify the negative lusts, right? the negative desires of our hearts. And when I say desire, right, it's not just a normal, like, you know, it's okay kind of thing, right? But, but we're talking about desires that have grown bigger than just normal desire, but desires that begin to rule us. In counseling, we call them ruling desires. Desires that are no longer, oh, it would be nice to have, right? These desires are, I need to have. I must have. So those desires that we, uh, that we need to be on guard for are described to us in 1 John 2. In 1 John 2. Uh, we're not going to read the, the passage, but I want you to see, I want you to see this, right? You, the desires that we must be on guard against are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the flesh typically describe lust like sexual sin, but it can also be thought, uh, thought of as the things that we do or pursue actively. Right? You do or you pursue these things actively. That's typically what the lust of the flesh can be summarized as. The lust of the eyes are the things that we see with our eyes and desire in our minds. They don't always translate to action, but it is something that we uh, desire inwardly. The boastful pride of life refers to those who are driven by status or approval from others. They are demands that we place on other people so that we can get what we want. I want to be loved. I want to be respected. I want to be appreciated. I want to be acknowledged for all of the things that I do. That's what the boastful pride of life is. These three forms of lust are the common lusts which drive us in every single part of our lives. And you might say, no, that's not me. 
that's not me. Maybe that's this person over here or that person over here, but that ain't me. No, that's not true. Right? Because we're all driven, right? We're all driven by the things that we actively want, right? We're all driven by the things that we see. Why do you think commercials work? Right? And we're all driven by the boastful pride of life. We want people to recognize who we are. And we want people to acknowledge us. These three forms of lust, it's just how every single person operates. Now, let's apply this understanding of our lust to purity. When you think about your own pursuit of purity, what are the things that cause you to fail in holiness? Think, pause. What are the things that cause you to fail in holiness? When are you most vulnerable to sin? Is your temptation to sin motivated by greed? Or is your temptation to sin motivated by a desire to comfort your own hurts? And that's a concept that needs a lot more uh, exploration. But basically for our time here, the main point is we need to stop, think, and ask why Am I motivated by this particular form of sin? Why do I sin in this way? And we're not used to thinking about this, but if we don't understand our motivations for sin, we're not going to be able to properly address that sin in our hearts. We're not going to know what are the appropriate scriptures that we need to be meditating on. We won't know what the appropriate put-off, put-on principle uh, that needs to be applied to our lives. Let's say, for example... That you tend to fail in holiness when times are stressful. Right, let's say that you, are, that you tend to fall when times are stressful. Maybe that stress is related to work or school. Maybe it's because you're in conflict with another person. And that conflict dominates all of your thinking. Whatever the case may be in this example, the temptation towards sexual lust happens during this time of stress. Now, we have to think about why. Why are you discontent with the circumstances of your life? Are you thinking in a self-pitying way? You know, woe is me, nobody understands. I don't deserve this. Are you angry about your situation and you want to pursue your sin because at least in the playground of your mind, you can have some sort of control? Or perhaps, are you fearful? Are you fearful that if you don't get what you want, when you have the opportunity to get it, you'll lose that opportunity forever? These are just some of the reasons why we might be tempted to sin. At least in times of hurt. And so, if this is you, and you know that your heart tends to operate like that during, this, during the, that time, you must be on guard. You must be on guard, and you must begin to think about how you can apply God's solution to your problem. What is my problem? What does God have to say about this in his word? How does God want me to act? That's how you begin to dig deep and to get into the roots, the deep roots of sin in our hearts. And then this is not, okay, this is not an exclusively single-person problem. Okay, so singles, please don't feel as if you are being targeted here this evening. This can affect you when you're dating. This can affect you when you're engaged or even when you're married. Why? Well, because our hearts are idol factories, That's what John Calvin said. Our hearts are idol factories. And you know what? Even if you think that you've nailed down which idols are causing you problems, you can't let up in knowing your heart and dealing with the sin within. Dr. John Street explains it this way. When confront... uh, Sorry. Mm. Sorry. When confronting sexual lust, typo in his book... You must recognize the presence of multiple gods of desire that may lead to both the conception and feeding of sin. 
And there are multiple gods of desires operating at once. These gods of desires in the heart are not always initially or directly connected to sex and the driving hunger of sexual hormones, but they do serve to underlie, support, and nourish their sexual expressions. So you see, the sin that remains in our hearts are really good at sticking around. You might think that you've thrown out a few of them. But little did you know, they're a little bit spread elsewhere. And it's like cockroaches. You just can't get rid of them. Or I guess like COVID, right? You think you know what you're doing with it. You think you got rid of it and it's still there, right? It's still present. We're still wearing masks, right? But just because the sin in your heart persists does not mean that you give up, right? God is in the process of making us more like Christ, which is why you can't give up. But we must instead gear ourselves up for battle as we address the hidden sins in our heart. And um, that's our second point, gear up for battle. Gear up for battle. The idea of gearing up for battle is one that we are familiar with within our culture. We see it in movies. We hear uh, sports teams talk about it. And, of course, we know that the members of our armed forces do this for real when they go to literal war. right? Not Call of Duty war or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Playground basketball, time to go to war, boys, right? Or football, um, right? But actual literal war. Now, why must those who go into battle, whether it be metaphorically or literal, gear up for war? Why do we got to gear up? Because you want to be prepared. Right? You want to make sure that you have done everything you, you can in order to achieve the outcome that you want, right? If it's in a game, you want to win. If it's real life, you want to live. You want to achieve your mission objective, and you want to live. That's why you got to gear up. Now, if we as believers want to be pure, then we must prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare. Now, I could go all over the place, but we're only going to go to 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." As many of you know, Peter writes to believers who are being persecuted because of their faith. They were being forced out of their homes and out of their communities because they were Christians. Now, as Peter is reminding them of how they can find hope in God's uh, love and care of them, he reminds them how they will be able to endure these various trials by commanding them to fix their hope completely on the grace that is coming. And that's the main command there, right? Fix your hope completely on the grace that is coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you do that? Well, one, by preparing your mind for action, right? and two, being sober or self-controlled in your spirit. So instead of acting like unbelievers who have no hope when trials come, believers do not respond to our trials by acting as if everything is completely hopeless, right? that there's no hope for me to, to possibly become holy, to possibly act holy. We don't respond to our trials like this because we know that because of Christ, we have victory. We have the assurance of our sins forgiven. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit in us to help us grow. We have the future hope that Christ will bring us home again to be with him. And at that point, right, all sin will be finally put to an end. Right, the sin that likes to stick around and likes to hide, all gone. All of it gone. Can you imagine that? You, perfect Right? No, not how you think of yourself right now, but you actually perfect. Right? Perfect as God intended you to be. That is what is coming down the line. And that is only 
attractive because when you are finally like that, you can have full, complete access to fellowship with God. Wouldn't that be sweet? To never again wonder whether God loves you. To never again wonder whether he'll forgive you one more time. Wouldn't that be sweet? That would be amazing. For those of you who are genuine believers in Jesus Christ, your battle to be pure in thought and deed is due to that leftover sin, right? But that entanglement in that sin is super easy to get entangled, to get tripped up, to get ensnared by sin. Now, your ongoing sin, uh, uh, your ongoing fight to pursue purity is, is, is a trial. It is a trial. But the purpose of that trial, the purpose of that trial is not to see you fail. But with the purpose of the trial that you are experiencing in the moment of temptation is to help conform you to the image of Christ. See, some of us, let me soften that a little bit, right? Some of us, when we are tempted, we don't really fight all that hard. You feel the twinge of temptation. You try and shove it off for a little bit. But when it's still there, you go back. You pursue it. When God allows you to experience that testing, it's not so that you're doomed to fail. But he gives you everything that you need so that you can actually pass the test. He's not wanting you to fail. He wants you to pass the test. But more often than not, we expose what's already in here, what's already at work in here, what we're worshiping in here. And, we ha- and so now when we think about this, right, when you say, okay, let me back that off. That. When people say that they are struggling with sin or that they're trying to fight sin, many times they're actually not struggling or fighting at all. And I'm not being judgmental here. This is just the reality of the fact. You ask any guy, any, any counselor who's worked with guys or, or, or ladies who struggle with, with, uh, with sexual lust, they always ask the question, what have you done on your part to fight the sin? What have you done on your part to fight the sin? And we ask that question not because we're trying to be overly invasive, but we want to get an idea of where you're at in your battle. Are you actually battling? Uh, if you have battled, what have you, uh, uh, what have you been successful in? Uh, where, or where have you been successful? You know, do you know why you've been successful? Right, that's what, uh, and then you know, we'll kind of fill in the gaps as needed. And usually what happens when this question is asked is that you get that response of, I've tried praying. I've tried praying about it. I've tried reading my Bible. I've tried memorizing scripture. Those are good things, right? We would universally say those are good things, right? Those are good things. But, and I said this in in my purity message, praying and reading your Bible is only going to be as effective in your fight against sin if you're, uh, or as effective as you use it properly. If you're not properly praying, if you're not properly meditating on the scriptures, it's not going to do you any ounce of good. So, if you're shocked by that, I'm not saying prayer is no good. I'm not saying that the Bible's no good. But, if your prayer sounds like this, dear God, I pray to you for your forgiveness for my sins because I know that I've messed up again. I pray that you help remove these lustful desires from me so that I can please you. In Jesus' name I pray. If you pray that, that's a good start, but there's a big problem with that prayer. Did you catch it? The big problem with that prayer is, of course, not forgiveness, not asking for forgiveness. That's good. But the problem in that prayer is that the person praying puts all of the responsibility for change on God. 
puts all the responsibility to change on God. Now, someone might say, but Pastor Roger, maybe this person is just asking God for God's strength to deal with their sin. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case. However, however, in most typical cases of people who are wrestling with, with lust, with sexual immorality in their lives, that is where the prayer ends. That's where the action ends. Maybe there is some memorization of 1 Thessalonians 4 or Job 31 or 1 Corinthians 6 and other verses. But again, what is the purpose of Scripture memorization? Do you functionally believe that by memorizing particular Bible verses that you can use them kind of like good luck charms to ward off temptation? Is that what Scripture memory does? Is that what it's supposed to do? to just ward off evil desire in our hearts as if it's just some magical words and then automatically we'll be fine? Or do we actually believe that scripture memorization is going to be key to help us meditate on God's words so that we can identify and put off the sins in our hearts and use God's means of grace and the power of the Spirit to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Right, practical solutions. Right, God doesn't call for us to sit back and wait for him to do everything for us. God does not obey for you. God does not obey for you. He enables and he empowers obedience, but he does not force you to change. Right, he commands you to change, but he doesn't force you to change. You are still responsible to change. Pastor Henry put it this way in one of our conversations. God does not work through people through sanctify magic. It's not magic. It's not mysterious. It's not mystical. Right? You're not going to wake up one day and realize that suddenly all the sinful desires and, and tendencies that you have have been removed from you by God. And now you're finally free to live life perfectly. And that's not what the scriptures teach. And so we have to take our part right, and fight sin. You know, earlier when we looked at Romans 13, you pull that slide up there. Earlier when we looked at Romans 13, right, we saw that these verses help us understand our responsibility in the sanctification process. Right? Notice that we are supposed to be putting on Christ in our lives. Right? And that means that we must do our part. We must play our part. We must uh, do what we are called to do. And you'll notice at the very uh, end of, of that, on that very last line, uh, very last line, and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Right? You, you see that the key to fighting sin, one of the keys to fighting sin anyway, is not just to put on Christ, right, but also to make no provision for the flesh. And that means if you truly want to deal with sin in your life, if you truly want to deal with sin in your life, you have to deal with all of it. You have to be willing to give up all of it. Not just a part of it. All of it. Do your actions reflect that you're willing to give up your comfort and your entertainment for the sake of purity? Or are you convinced, based off of Jesus' words in Mark 9 and the parallel passages, that it would be better for you to enter into heaven crippled, maimed, deformed, because you've performed radical sin amputation in your life? Do you believe that it would be better for you to do that than to enter into hell whole? Jesus, of course, is speaking metaphorically. But his point here is that if we are serious about sin, you can't let it hang around. You can't just say, well, I'll give up sin in this particular area, but I'm going to hold back this other area. I'll, I'll give up the desktop computer, but I'm going to hold on to my iPad. I'm going to give up going to bars, but I'm going to stay at home and look at whatever I want to look at. Or we can't let sin hang around. You can't give sin the spare key so that it can come in through the back. You can't leave the windows ajar. 
you have to completely cut it out, leave it out, make no provision for the flesh. If you're listening to overly graphic music, it's gone. I mean, you know, you might like that artist, you might like their style, you might like the beat, but at the same time, are you willing for the sake of obedience to the Lord and a desire to have a pure heart, be willing to listen to someone else or just stop listening to that type of music? If you love movies, TVs, uh, TV, TV shows, or, or anime, but you know that some of that stuff is not good for you, that it tempts your heart to respond in a certain way, are you willing to give it up for the glory of God? Or not just for the glory of God, are you willing to give it up because you love God? Or do you love God enough that you're willing to, to basically cut out that entertainment because it's a stumbling block for you? Are you willing to do that? And the same can be said about any aspect of sin in your life. A lot more can be said here. But making no provision for the flesh is necessary for all of us if we want to grow and change into, um, uh, into Christ-likeness. Now, sure, there are going to be some people who are not particularly drawn to sin in the same way that we are. Right? And they're going to think, you do that? Whoa, that's over the top. You know that's not okay, right? It's okay to listen to Taylor Swift. You don't have to drop her. Right? And it's just like, well, okay, but it's a problem for me, so I'm not going to listen to T-Swizz anymore. It's okay. If they judge you for that, that's fine. No worries. Right? It's better to be thought of as a fool by others than it is to intentionally expose yourself to things that you know are going to lead you to sin. Right? It's better to be thought of as a fool or a prude than it is to intentionally expose yourself to sin as we place our hope in Christ, knowing that he's going to come back to finally free us from our bonds of sin, we have to be ready. We have to prepare our minds for that spiritual warfare. We have to practice self-control because that is all part of fixing our hope completely on Christ. So, so far, we've examined two practical ways that Christians can practically pursue purity. The third way that we can practically pursue purity is to get help and help others. And we're going to move a little quicker here because those, those two first uh, practical steps were the meat of it. Right? Those are the most important things. Um, these other things, they're, they're really important too, but those were foundational to support the rest of us. Now, as we've been reminded all evening, the key to a pure heart is dealing with sin on the heart level. But doing so doesn't mean that you have to do it alone. Okay? You don't have to do it alone. We can invite the help of other people uh, to, to help us, right? to hold us accountable. Right? And when I mentioned accountability partners earlier, right, let me reiterate. Re- accountability partners are good. Right? They are good. We need people in our lives to push us to pursue the Lord, who will check up on us, who will ask us the hard questions. If your accountability partner does not ask you hard questions, doesn't get into your life. It's kind of a toothless accountability. It's a toothless accountability because they don't help you pursue purity. They say, I prayed for you, but did they really? Or did they just actually see you in the hall and they're like, oh, I forgot to pray. Dear God, pray for this person. Amen. Right? And then done. Right? And I know that's how some of you pray because that's how I pray sometimes too. Either that or I'm just like really, really unqualified. Anyways, right, but, but that's how we pray sometimes, right? Because we forget. Now, remember what we said in Proverbs 18, right? In light of, in light of guarding our hearts in, in dating, right? If you separate yourself, you're seeking after your own desire. That can be applied, the same thing here for purity as well. If you separate yourself from others, if we think that, you, if we, think that we can fight uh, our sins in our hearts by ourselves and that we don't need nobody else, we are gravely mistaken. We are gravely mistaken. Right? Who is going to hold you accountable? Who, who's going to ask you those tough questions that, that unearth those sins that are deep beneath the soil of our hearts? Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Similarly, Proverbs fourteen twelve says this, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. On our own, we don't have a clear perspective. We think of our methods and our deeds 
as right, as holy, as, as pure. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's wickedness underneath. So God gives us other people in our lives to help hold us accountable. Right? That's one of God's graces to us, one of his provisions for purity for us. Remember the words of Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore each, such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Notice that phrase, if anyone is caught in any trespass. Right? That refers to believers. Right? That's that's who Paul has in mind here, is a believer. A believer who got enticed, who got lured to follow after sin, and they find themselves in accidental slavery to sin. See, unbelievers have no choice. Unbelievers have to sin. Right? They're not spiritually alive. They're spiritually dead. So they must sin. They are slaves to sin. They're born slaves to sin, and they stay slaves until they get saved, right? until they believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and they repent of their sins. But for those of us who have already believed in Jesus Christ, we can still get tripped up. You can still get enslaved by accident. Or sometimes someone on purpose. Now, of course, we do have to ask hard questions and ask yourself, are you, you know, am I actually saved? Am I doing this in willful disobedience because I really don't care about God? I just care about me. Or is this something that you are actively trying to fight? But if you are, if you are trying to fight, right, you're just caught up in trespass, that's the one that we're supposed to try and help. Right? Or we're the ones that people are supposed to try and help. And then if we see other people in that situation, we're, trying, we're supposed to try and help them. We are to bear one another's burdens and help them fight, especially if we ourselves have been there before. In Luke 22, Jesus uh, reveals to Peter that Satan has asked for permission to bring trial into Peter's life, right? to sift Peter like wheat. And Jesus says, ah, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus' prayer for Peter not to fail is obviously not that Peter would never fail because Peter did, right? Just a few verses later in verse 34, Jesus says to Peter, before the, crow, uh, before the rooster crows the third time, you will deny me. Right? You'll deny me three times. So it's not that Peter's faith won't fail uh, at all uh, or... Um, yeah, it's not that Peter's faith won't fail at all, but it, it's that, um, that it wouldn't be a complete, utter, devastating failure, permanent failure. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, when you've turned again, right, that's acknowledging that he knows you are going to stumble, you are going to trip up. Right? But when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. We are going to stumble and fall. All of us are going to stumble and fall in some way. If it's not lust, it could be anger. If it's not anger, it could be pride, anxiety, worry, what have you. Right? We're all going to fail. We're all going to fail. But the reason why we're told that no temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man is because God knows that we cannot fight sin on our own. And God knows that because of the deceitfulness of our hearts, we're going to be tempted to think that no one else understands, that no one else has ever been tempted in this way. I myself am alone in my temptation, and nobody can help me. Therefore, I should just stop. I should just stop trying. I should just give up and give in. But that simply is not true. Right? Praise God that's not true. God gives us the family of God, the church, so that we can be cared for others and so that we can demonstrate the same care that we've been given to other people. And so that's why we always emphasize body life. That's why when we talk about salvation, it's not about me and my salvation. It's about me and God's church. It's never been about just you and Jesus. Because you're a part of something new now. You're a part of the church. 
when you become a believer. So God has given us his Holy Spirit, his word, and, his, and our church family to help us fight sin and become more like Christ. And with these provisions, we actually can fight sin. Right? We can know our hearts, we can gear up for battle, and we can receive help and get help. And finally, the last practical way that Christians can pursue purity is love the Lord. Love the Lord. Now, we're running short on time. Um, but we're not going to spend a ton of time on this part anyway because, not because it's not important, okay, it is important, but because the whole reason why we've been even studying purity for the last four weeks is because this is the most important thing. Right, this is the foundation for purity. Right, the reason why we ought to desire purity is because we love our Lord. Jesus says in John 14, 15, you can see the slide there, right, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right, we know that the most important of those commandments is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if we love God, we're going to want to um, keep all of his commandments. We're going to want to love him. Right? And as a result of that, do what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am holy, for I am holy. Right? The root of the problem when it comes to sexual immorality is a worship problem. There is a worship disorder that is there when we, are, when we allow for ourselves to be driven by our sexual lusts. When we take the good gift that God has given and we make it something that we need to have in order to be fulfilled, in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy, then we have made one of God's gifts to his people more important than God himself. It becomes itself an object of worship. And so for those who wrestle with sexual immorality, sex may not even be the core of your worship problem either. Sex is not or may not be the core of your worship problem either. Actually, you know what? I'll say the stronger one. It is not. Why am I using the stronger one? Because the core problem for those who wrestle specifically in this area of sexual immorality is a heart that loves self. Think about that. A heart that is lured toward, that is enticed towards. Sexual immorality is a heart that ultimately loves self above all else. And it will do whatever it takes to please and satisfy self. When really, what we should be doing is to do whatever it takes to please God and satisfy ourselves with Him. Not with His gifts, but with Him. Satisfaction was never meant to be found in a relationship outside of God. Right? If you are dating or you want to be dating, your special friend is going to disappoint you. They are going to fail you. If you're engaged, your fiancé will fail you. If you're married, you already know and you've already experienced. It only takes day one. To, you already know that your spouse has failed you. Right? It's past tense. It's not future. It's past tense. You already know. And all that is guaranteed because we're all sinners. Right? It's guaranteed because we are sinners. And brothers and sisters, do not put your hope of satisfaction in sexual immorality. That's not going to satisfy you. That's not going to make your day better. That's not going to make your problems go away. That's not going to be the stopgap that holds you over until marriage. Don't think of it that way. Don't pervert marriage that way. Hold marriage in high honor as God calls us to in Hebrews. Sexual immorality is a poison. It's a bitter poison. Maybe it has a sweet candy coating, but it'll kill you. It'll rob you of, the, uh, of living a spiritual, the spiritual life that God intends for you to live. And, you know, for that matter, don't put your hope or your satisfaction in anything or anyone outside of God. If you truly love him, draw near. 
to be mindful of these false idols which try and lure you away from him and do not fall for their lies. In Psalm 37, 4, David writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a verse that is so easy to uh, misinterpret. And what does David mean here? It's not that if you delight in God that he's going to give you whatever, we, whatever you want. Right? That would be idolatry. That would be worshiping God so that you can get stuff. It's not because you love God. You want stuff. Right? Which means that you're not actually worshiping God, but you're worshiping the stuff or the person. So what does it mean then? Or what does this verse mean then? It means that if you delight yourself in God, The desire of your heart will be God. If you delight yourself in God, the desire of your heart will be God. And he will gladly give himself to you. He will gladly give himself to you. You see, if we begin to use this as our foundation to grow in holiness and in purity, if we love God more than we love ourselves, the things that once tempted us to sin, they're not going to be appealing anymore. It's like if you had a, if you get a taste for bacon and all you've had your life is turkey bacon, you will never, ever go back to turkey bacon. Am I right? Amen. Okay, I could go more. I'm really tempted to go more, but I'm not going to extend the analogy. But if you've tasted the good stuff, you're not going to go back for the, for the bad stuff, right? You're not going to go back for the bad stuff. You're not going to go back for the stuff that does not satisfy. So, brothers and sisters, satisfy yourself in God. And that's why I introduced Psalm 90 to us this evening. Because the one who prays, Lord, satisfy me with your love, is the one who has holy discontent who says, I've had some of God, but it's not enough. I want more. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, and I want more of you, and I want more of you. One of my professors at Masters, he put it this way. He said, when I have to go to sleep at night, I cry because I know that I cannot spend any more time with my Lord because I have to go to sleep. He was, as we, uh, as we joked around campus, the holiest man on campus, but... Um, and actually, he does preach for our Cantonese uh, conference. Um, so uh, if you speak Cantonese, he's a gem. You should listen. But um, that holy discontent that's there, though, that's not in all of us, right? For us, it's kind of like, oh, I got to do my devos? <sighs> I kind of don't want to do my devos. Uh, what's on TV right now? Uh, oh, you know what? Uh, Disney Plus has been revealing you know, more of these, these episodes that I want to see. More Marvel stuff, more Star Wars stuff. Yeah, they have one or two episodes. And then you watch your one or two episodes. And it's like, oh, do I really want to do my devos? Well, it's kind of late. I should probably get ready for work tomorrow. Eh, uh, I'll do it tomorrow, right? And so on and so forth. The cycle begins and goes over and over. That's typically how we are. Right? That's typically how we are. But if you love God, if you want yourself to be satisfied in God more than anything else, then it's kind of like, well, you know, you can still enjoy that other stuff. You can still be subscribed to Disney Plus, and I ain't going to judge you, all right? Because I myself am also subscribed to it. But anyways, right? You can like that stuff. You can be entertained by that stuff. You can still have your hobbies. But if you live for your hobbies, you're not living for God. Right? Be satisfied in him and him alone. Let's strive to love God with all that we got. And so this evening, we've learned about how we can practically pursue purity in four different ways. We need to know our hearts. We need to know what is inside us, what tempts us to sin, why we are tempted to sin, when we are tempted to sin. Right? We need to know our hearts. That's going to be the most helpful thing, right? especially if we're going to have other people help us. Right? That's what they're going to be digging at. Right? What's going on inside? What's your worship problem, and how can I help you with that? Or right? what's the wrong thinking that's driving your wrong feelings? And it's driving your wrong behavior. Secondly, we've got to prepare ourselves for battle. We've got to gear up for, for battle. We've got to know what we need to do and commit ourselves to doing those things to pursue purity. 
We also must get help and give help, and we must love God first and foremost. These practical steps to pursue purity, they're definitely going to help. They're going to help us pursue pleasing God. But just because you're aware of these things, you already know this, right? Just because you're aware of these things, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to be flawless in, in practically pursuing purity. But I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to give you realistic expectations so that when you do stumble, when you do fail, you don't think, oh, I just need to give up because I failed yet again. Right? That's not what God's calling you to do. You're going to fail. Right, but when you fail, get back up. Utilize all of God's provisions, right? the Holy Spirit, his word, the church, to fight. Right? And those are the other, those other things too. Um, right, but utilize God's provisions for you, for your life, so that you can fight. Remember that he who began a good work in you will be what? Faithful to complete it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Don't forget that, okay? Don't forget that. God doesn't hate you. He's not, he's not ashamed of you. He loves you. He justified you. He sanctified you. He will glorify you. He will be faithful to complete it. Now, if you're here tonight, and this sermon is a little too general, and you need help, or you know that you can't do this on your own, that you've tried some of these strategies and it's not really working, please, please, feel free to reach out to me, to Pastor Ray, to Pastor Henry, uh, or if you would prefer an older sister in the Lord, any of the sisters that are here that, um, that have found some victory in this area. Right, we want to do our best to help you follow after Christ as best you can. Now, if you are here tonight and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you've come to realize that the way that you've been living it's just empty. It's not satisfactory. We invite you to find hope and lasting satisfaction in God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you in your place. And he didn't do that just so that he could, he could just take away your sin, but he did that also so that he could adopt you into his family. So if you want to talk about salvation, please feel free to talk to, uh, talk to some of us after as well. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your word and for the magnificent truth that is in there. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to satisfy our hearts in knowing you. We pray that our love for you will be such that we would be willing to give up the things that so easily entangle us just because we like our entertainment, just because we like our lifestyle. We pray that we would be willing to be made fools and be willing to be considered fools for the sake of holiness because we love you. We pray that you would even... Help us to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of loving you. Father, thank you for this time. We pray that you would be with us as we go into our discussion groups. See your sons and we pray. Amen.